Hey fools, welcome to another episode of Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It is Tuesday, July 12th, and I'm your host, Vincent Chen. So joining me from Colorado via Skype is Mr. Seth McNew. How's it going, Seth? Hope all is well. Hey, Vince. Going great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, man. So uh, for our listeners, uh, as you may recall, I hosted Seth in person here at Full Headquarters for the June 28th episode when we talked about Las Vegas. He was able to share some of his thoughts on Sin City after spending several months living there earlier this year. So once again, I'm tapping Seth to share his first-hand experience with us, this time to talk about everyone's favorite upstart sports apparel company, Under Armour. So Under Armour has a lot of fans here at The Motley Fool. Its success has often been attributed, I think, to its innovative nature. So that applies to its products, with its marketing, a lot of other key aspects of its business. And all that is, of course, under the leadership of its founder and CEO, Kevin Plank. So the latest innovation push is Under Armour Lighthouse. So this is a 35,000-square-foot facility located at Port Covington in South Baltimore, right on the Patapsco River. So it used to be a large garage for city buses, but the inside now resembles something more so taken from a sci-fi film. And Under Armour itself has referred to the new facility as the factory of the future. So on this episode, uh, you know, Seth was actually able to attend... Uh, I think it was like the opening ceremony media event for Lighthouse and to uh, you know see the tour uh, led by uh, Kevin Plank himself. So I wanted to get some details from him about that, other uh, pushes they're making with things like 3D printing, and then ultimately just take a look at their valuation and what the company's prospects can potentially be for investors looking forward. So when we get started, what, do you th- what did you think, Seth, about the event? Yeah, it was really incredible. And so, uh, right, it was about two weeks ago that I got to go to their headquarters and um, their new headquarters, what will be their new headquarters, Port Covington, is a little bit further south in Baltimore than where their current headquarters is. So so we drive from the, the actual headquarters, and you get to this building, and it kind of just, you know, it looks pretty unassuming. It, it, you know, it, was a, it was a city garage before. It kind of looks like any any bus shop. It's kind of just a, a big square building. And uh, we pull up, and outside of it, they have everything set up with seats and a DJ, and eventually we all take our seats, and Kevin Plank comes up. And, you know, Kevin Plank is so animated. So he kind of starts going off about about why manufacturing in the U.S. really needs to change and and what changing manufacturing can really do for the apparel industry. Um, and he talks about you know other industries like computers and cell phones, how far they've come. And he says that that apparel and manufacturing just hasn't really changed much in the last hundred years. Um, and you have some really pretty interesting people that are attending this media event. So you have senior White House policy advisors and uh, you know some other government officials. You have pro athletes. You have this uh, pro athletes who was on the Ravens. Um, so he just starts kind of talking about all these reasons why Under Armour is going to be the one to to start innovating more than anybody else in manufacturing. And this is right outside of this square building. And then they open the doors and we walk inside for the tour, which is given by Kevin Plank. I mean, it was like it was like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory for athletic apparel. It was really <laughs> interesting. And you kind of get the sense that everybody there was just as excited as I was. You kind of just want to touch everything and you want to see everything's working. Uh, but you're walking through the center, and it's you know it's all these engineers and and designers that are wearing lab coats and and fidgeting with half built shoes, and it it's almost like you kind of you felt like a kid from Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory. You're moving through through, and they take you to each section, and one section's 3D printing, uh, and then you get to another section, and it's uh, you know it's body scanning. They have this athlete standing there, and they're scanning his body, and then you see the rendered 3D images of his body on the screen, and and how they can create clothes around that. It was super fascinating, and the whole thing. I mean, I mean. You're just looking at all these products that are not to market yet, and uh, it was really fascinating. Yeah, from from the pictures that I saw, I thought it was really interesting. You know, where you know, when you think of people in lab coats, I might think of people in the medical field or things along those lines at a manufacturing facility. But in this case, you know, for apparel, it's 
it's definitely a different take and uh like you mentioned um just very very high tech but uh i remember the lighthouse project seems to have a couple areas of focus uh around like 3d design body scanning like you mentioned can you touch on those a little bit yeah so so they said there's four areas of focus that that they're really working on here uh the first one is 3d design and body scanning and that that's uh that's related to how, you know, they're looking at how an athlete's body changes by season, um, what what kind of fabrics are, are best for a moving athlete that's using the body scanning. Um, the next one is 3D printing, which is both for actual product and for rapid prototyping. So, you know, they, they kind of have the, the massive 3D printers that are actually printing product a consumer might use. And then kind of to the lower end where they might just create a product really quickly just to test out kind of, you know, the size and shape. Um, then there's another section that's for apparel and footwear prototyping in other ways, you know, like with actual fabrics and, and some kind of molding processes. Um, and then the last one was apparel and footwear pilot lines. So kind of running manufacturing models to see if an idea or design would, would work at scale. Okay. So can you give us a sense of some of the advantages that the company gets, uh, from this lighthouse project? Basically like what are some, uh, what are just some perks or some uh, maybe innovative new products or things that they've been able to push out or test as a result of of experiments like this? Well, I think uh, probably you remember the they came out in March with these three D printed shoes. They were kind of the first pe- the first company to make it to market with a three D printed training shoe that was actually three D printed. Some other companies have been working on it. Um, new Balance came out with some in April, but these were kind of the first ones out. And uh, I got to try a review pair. They were pretty interesting. They're, they're a weightlifting shoe and they've kind of have this 3d printed lattice heel. Um, it's kind of a, a design that you wouldn't be able to create without 3d printing. So that was the first time you really see that, that this is a viable thing. I think a lot of people, you know, they say 3d printing products, especially in apparel is, is kind of a gimmick, maybe kind of a marketing gimmick, but I got to tell you, these shoes are incredible and you can see how, you know, how that would kind of, how, how you could, you, you'd get more customization, better fit. You know, not everybody falls between a 10 and a 10 and a half shoe size. So if you can get a, you know, a 10 and one quarter shoe size that fits perfectly to your feet to, you know, the width, you can, you can choose the customization of, of colors or the material, you know, and then of course the biggest part of that is deliverability with 3d printing. Imagine if you can go to a store and you can scan your foot and you can have a shoe made right then for you. Okay. So, um, I, I see here now, these were called the architects, right? Yeah. Um, it seems like it was a pretty small launch, but the reception, right, was pretty positive, and they, they sold pretty quickly, right? Yeah, so they only launched 96 pairs, which was kind of a throwback to when they started in 1996. Okay. Uh, they sold them for $300 a piece, and they sold out in just 18 minutes online. Okay, oh, wow. So, uh, definitely, uh, you know, obviously nothing that is going to hit, or nothing's going to really drive bottom line at the moment, but definitely a proof of concept, would you say? Yeah, and um, so it sounds like they are going to have another launch this summer. I'm not sure if it'll be a full launch, and, and they haven't released very much information about what that'll look like, but uh, definitely keep watching for that. Okay. Um, and another uh, big piece of the that you mentioned uh, at the beginning was around the you know local manufacturing, and that's a big push for what why they created the Lighthouse facility. Um, could you touch on uh, Plank's uh, comments there w- during the media event and just what his thoughts are for how the business is focusing on that? Yeah, so like I said, you know, Kevin Plank, he's just so animated. So we're, we're listening to him during this media event. And you kind of get the idea that someday he might run for office or run for president. He's kind of like, he's up there and he's kind of shaking his fist. and he's, He says, jobs, jobs, jobs. You know, like that's, what, that's what's really important right now. And so he has this whole idea that that through these kinds of manufacturing improvements, they're going to be able to bring, he said, tens of thousands of manufacturing jobs created in the U.S. So so he's he, pretty much his idea is that by having local for local, which means U.S. product 
made in the U.S., product for Brazilians made in Brazil, and kind of local for local all around the world, you're going to be able to create these these manufacturing hubs in different parts around the world where you're not shipping product halfway across the globe to get to a consumer. Okay, and I, that makes a lot of sense to me. I can definitely see the appeal of you know making products more local again this has kind of already gained some traction in other sectors like mm-hmm. the restaurant industry even with you know if you think about some change and the fact that they've been able to market and be successful with the idea of um, sourcing a lot of their ingredients locally and even you know I look at the presidential election you know quite a few candidates you mentioned plank it's almost like he is a politician or he's like giving kind of like a campaign speech, but a lot of the candidates have campaigned on the promise to strengthen and reinvest in manufacturing within the US. But um, I couldn't really find any specific numbers for the cost of the Lighthouse uh, project and how much they spent on it. But I can understand if some investors and listeners might be a little bit concerned about this expansion, or at least just what the return on investment will ultimately be. So, how do you think the company is kind of looking at this in terms of you know the return on investment and just how they're justifying uh, you know the R and D there? Yeah. So, so right. I I don't think they're breaking down their numbers of how much this costs. You know, it's just a it's pretty much a, an investment for them as well. But there is this is a, I'm certain a huge upfront cost. They they said that some of these 3D printers could be over a hundred thousand dollars. You know you have some of the, the low end ones and you have a few of these ones that are massive. Um, but when you think about the long term gains, I mean not only from decreased manufacturing and, and transportation costs, but you know truly better and more innovative gear. Uh, he talked about how how right now a shoe being made in Asia could have hundreds of people touching a single shoe. So you have it at, imagine you know a a model the shoe model that's going down the factory line and each person adds one little component to it. Whereas he thinks that he can, he can bring that down to just a couple people touching a shoe and a lot less parts. So you have a, a lot less room for error. You have a much better product. And then think about, you know, even the tax implications, every government's going to be excited that there's going to be a manufacturing hub in their city or their state. So this is already happening in Baltimore. And like I said, there were senior white house policy advisors there, you know? So, so there's a lot of long-term gains to be made from this kind of push. And that that makes a lot of sense to me in the sense that you know we actually uh, did an episode I think it was about a month maybe a month or two months ago it was about inventory management and you mentioned how many people had to touch the shoe for example at at you know Asian manufacturing facility hundreds of times to mm-hmm. get the product done but you know with inventory management there's people have commented on the idea that. Uh, each transfer from you know one party to another in the supply chain is basically added cost and added time that uh, prevents the product from hitting the market quickly. Mm-hmm. And this seems like, and it's, it's funny that this is more of a sports apparel company, but this is like the ultimate. It seems like in terms of fast fashion and the idea that you know they can do these prototypes really quickly in lighthouse uh, facilities and facilities like that might be able to give. Under Armour, the ability to uh, create prototypes, like you said, reduce the time it, it, that's required to do that, and then get the market out if it's if you know the testing is successful or it looks promising to get that as quickly as possible. Right, and then imagine now you know they're giving themselves a one to two year lead on trying to make new product. You have to you have to ship that product to the distributor six months in advance, so it's summertime and you're shipping them winter gear, hoping that it, you know the, the audience still likes it in the winter. Whereas if you can get something that's out in six weeks. You know, you're going to be a lot, a lot more in time with what the market's looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you know, we had a chance so far to talk about some really cool opportunities. I think for Under Armour that should really help drive its its growth in the future. Uh, you know, share of the company have traded up over 300 percent in the past five years. 
Its revenue has quadrupled over the same period to about $4 billion in 2015. And based on the last earnings call, I think management now expects them uh, expects the company to hit the $5 billion milestone for 2016. And annual top-line growth has been incredible. It's been in double digits for well over a decade. But at the same time, you know, I think you and I both know this stock is definitely not cheap. So I believe you're an Under Armour investor. And how do you think about its evaluation? Like, are there any challenges that you could see derailing like its growth streak or its success streak? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I am an Under investor, and I'm I'm lucky that I kind of jumped on the bandwagon pretty early. Uh, it's definitely not a cheap stock. It's gained about 15% just in the past few weeks, and that's kind of pushed its uh, price to earnings up to 77 times. Compare that to a company like like Nike at 27 times. Um, but you know, there there just doesn't look like there's a sign of slowing right now, even in the short term, they posted 20% uh, quarterly year-over-year gains for the last 24 quarters or six years. You know, and then the most recent quarter is 30%. And I just it just doesn't look like there's a sign of slowing there. And then you kind of think about these long-term investments, and so you think about how long-term investor are you? Are you are you looking for a short-term gain? Under Armour is probably not stock for you. There's going to be some, too much volatility. Um, if you're looking 10 to 20 years out, then I think Under Armour is still a great play, even at this price. Fair enough. Uh, I think uh, something I'd like to add to that is just the idea that if you look at uh, some of their strongest growth areas, like their international segment, and that was just 11% of revenue in 2015, their footwear growth has been off the charts, especially with some really uh, very um, well chosen, I guess, uh, sponsor or endorsement uh, partnerships with Stephen Curry, for example. And footwear is still only 25% of revenue, uh, and that was for the first quarter of this year. So, and again, showing phenomenal growth. So, I think. Uh, the opportunities are definitely there, and you can see again the company has not forgotten where they got here in terms of that innovation with the original product, uh, with like the cold gear and the wicking uh, materials, things like that. And they're still pushing in that regard, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I think it's a smaller company than Nike. I think there's going to be some short-term risks. I mean, look at what happened with Sports Authority. How much the market kind of hammered them for for their write-off this year for Sports Authority going bankrupt. Yes. Uh, so, how could you actually cover a little bit more about that? Just a little detail for our listeners. Um, so, obviously, Sports Authority is going to be a big uh, is going to be a big retailer for uh, Under Armour products. How much of an impact did that seem to make? And did you think it was? It seems to me like you think it was maybe a little bit overstated. Yeah, so that one hits a little bit close to home. You know, I'm a Colorado, and Sports Authority is a local company. They started here in Colorado, and that's where their headquarters. Uh, you know, Sports Authority closing. I'm sure that's going to be a hit to them this year, and we're probably going to see that that takes a little bit of hit in the sales. Um, but I think it plays well into the story that that what they're really looking for is direct-to-consumer growth anyways, which was which was massive. I mean, it was 30% in 2015 over 2014, 30% growth um, to $1.2 billion, which is a, a huge part of their revenue. You know, and when you can when you can get direct to consumer, that increases your profit margin, increases your control, especially when you are talking about how much you want local for local manufacturing. I just don't think that this this sports authority closing is going to have as big as an impact in the next year or two years as as the markets kind of thought it would be. Okay, fair enough. Um, I agree. It's definitely much more of a sport uh, short term kind of like speed bump than anything else. But what about longer term? Is there? I guess when you're looking at this stock and your investment, is there anything? Uh, that concerns you in terms of a bigger picture, longer term concern. Uh, I know, you know, for example, some people have mentioned like the idea of 
Plank potentially leaving would be a huge hit. You know, this is one of those companies that's very much driven by its founder. But at the same time, I see this being a relatively small risk, especially with the recent split and how he's able to maintain the founder control. But any other challenges or risks that you see that you think maybe you know our listeners and investors should consider? Yeah, I mean, if, if Plank something happened to Plank or Plank were to leave, I think that would be a huge risk. But you're right; he really just doubled down on the company recently by doing the the, the split where he kept all control of the company. And, and you know, he's really he's putting a huge investment into Baltimore itself with that new with the new headquarters. He's got a, a bunch of other little side projects just to kind of build up the city to make sure that's a great place for Under Armour to be. Um, I would say one thing to look at it is their debt level. Uh, Under Armour really started with with not wanting to take on any debt. That was a big big thing for Kevin Plank when he first started the company. So I just watched that. You know, they have a lot of acquisitions. They have a lot of these big investments. Um, I'd be hesitant if the debt started to get too high for such a small company. But I think right now it's at, at really reasonable levels. Okay, fair enough. Uh, just going back to what you mentioned, I thought this was really interesting with you know playing some of his side projects. I know that uh, next to Lighthouse, I think, uh, there's a few other properties that he is involved with or he owns where it's kind of like they're supposed to be kind of like think tanks or, or like areas just to build up... Uh, or to encourage entrepreneurship and innovation. And it seems like that whole area, that Port Covington area, is kind of being built up as uh, just a space for innovation in the city and investment in Baltimore. Yeah, you could do a whole other show on everything Kevin Plank's doing in Baltimore outside of Under Armour. Uh, so what you're talking about is actually right next to Lighthouse in the same building, um, what they call Main Street, and they have this whole area for entrepreneurs to come and have space and tools to work on their own products. Um, but there's other things like right on that Port Covington property, he's working on a, a whiskey distillery. Uh, you know, he, he bought a farm for some with a horse racing track. He's a really interesting guy. Wow. Okay. So I might take you up on that and we can do a, maybe an episode down the line to talk about some other things, uh, that Plank is looking at. Just, just a really, I think, interesting, uh, leader in, in this industry and really obviously has led Under Armour to an incredible amount of success. But uh, thanks a lot, Seth, for your thoughts. I think it's really cool that you were able to attend the the Lighthouse event for uh, you know sharing that that experience. Absolutely, thanks for having me again. Cool. So that's uh, all from us today. But uh, you can share any questions or comments with us via Twitter at MF Industry Focus or shoot an email to industryfocus at fool You can also enjoy other great podcasts from the Motley Fool by checking out fool.com slash podcast. So people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening and full on.